0: Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, uh, it is good to be uh, together. Um, We are going to continue on with the series in Foundations and uh, we are in the book of Romans, if you remember. It's been a little while. But uh, we're looking at how the gospel forms a foundation for every area of our life. And that, how, it, how that foundation transforms every, every area of our life. And so, uh, so that's what we're looking at. And tonight we come to the hinge of the book. Right? It changes. The book changes in this in this uh, chapter and what we're going to be looking at. So honestly, this is, in my mind, one of the most important passages of the entire book. Um, We are going to uh, read our passage together. In fact, I memorized our passage that we have tonight when I was your age, when I was a college student, and I've never forgotten it. In fact, probably some of the verses I may quote, Definitely top ten verses that I quote um, in my uh, Christian life. And so tonight's verses and our passage is very important. Before I get into that, um, several years ago, some alumni did something very uh, unforeseen and, and something that was very special to me. Uh, we had some uh, alum that I had discipled and had been in my core group back in the day when I, whenever I was the only Core group leader, well, on the male side, and my wife was the only core group leader on the female side, and she was way more fruitful than me. But we won't talk about that right now. But, um, anyways, uh, so they had, had colluded together to do something that was unforeseen and special. Um, they made up a story to get me up to Northern Virginia. We were actually the story was is that we were going to go to a Baltimore Orioles uh, baseball game. To which I was not excited at all. Okay. I remember on the way up there telling Amy he's like, I really don't want to go do this. But we said we would. This is not really how I want to spend my Friday. You know, it's a long drive up there, watch a game, a long drive. We're gonna, you know, it's gonna, I was kind of bellyaching on the way up there. And Amy's like, Yeah, I understand, but we've already committed, you know. And so uh, we go there and uh, and we stop at Andrew McCormick's house. He was one of our uh, very first students, and um, we're, we're at his house, he said, well, we need to go swing by and pick up Kevin at the airport on the way to the game so, uh, so we can go. So I'm like, okay, so we go to Reagan National Airport, swing by to pick up Kevin, and when we get to the airport, Andrew hops out and he says, get out, Pete. I said, get out. You see, he said, yeah, get out, we're going. And Amy hops out of the van, pops the back of the van, gets me a bag and says, here, I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so there's four other alum, myself, and Andrew says, I need your ID. I said, uh, uh, okay. So I give him my ID so he will not tell me where we're going. So so we go through security. I have no idea where we're going. And then we walk up to the gate and uh, and we... We're going to Chicago. Here's actually a picture uh, that they took when I realized where we were going. They gave me, they gave me a t-shirt. These are the guys who did it. Um, they gave me a, a t-shirt that was a Chicago Cub t-shirt, which I'm wearing right there. And I realized they are taking me to Chicago for the weekend. We flew to Chicago, we stayed downtown Chicago, I don't know if you've ever been to downtown Chicago, it's a beautiful place. We went to Wrigley Field, I'm a Cub fan, right? So they knew I was a Cub fan, so we rode the L, we went to Wrigley Field, we watched the game, Um, that's where we're we're at. We we went out to eat and had a great time in Chicago for the weekend, and they paid for it all! And here I was bellyaching. Anyways... How do you respond to such kindness, thoughtfulness, love, generosity? How do you respond to something like that? I'm like, man, who am I? Like, why would they do that for me? You know, just just how do you respond to that? Better yet, how do you respond to what God has done for you? In the gospel, in Christ. How do you respond to that kindness, that love, that generosity? How do you respond to that? Because that is way more profound than what they did for me. That was one of the most special moments in my life. Yet, it pales in comparison to the glory of what God has done for us in Christ. And how do you respond? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because that's what our passage is going to talk about tonight. How do you respond to such kindness and love and mercy and goodness and grace? Uh, So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Um, As I mentioned, this is the hinge. And I'm going to do something we don't normally do. I went to a church uh, recently, and this is what they do. And so I'm like, hey, let's do that in M&L. well, I go to church every weekend, but you know what I'm saying. I, went, I spoke at this church up in Warrington a couple weeks ago. Anyways, why don't you stand with me? Here's what we're going to do. I have the verses up on the screen, and we are going to read these verses together. I, I knew that they stood at this church, and, and uh, they read the verses. I didn't know they all did it out loud, but it was kind of cool. So we're going to do it, okay? So, so uh, we're going to read them together. You guys ready? All right. If you have a different version, go for it with your own version. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just... Yeah, and if you want to do that, you do that. All right, here we go. All right, okay, here we go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and perfect will. You may be seated. Beautiful job. Way to go. Way to go. That's beautiful. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through those two verses taking a phrase at a time. Is that all right if we just unpack it a phrase at a time? Um, Here's what we're going to do. Uh, So we're going to start with, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Paul is urging them. In fact, so there's passion and urgency. This isn't like passive, like, "Uh, therefore, you may want to... No, I urge you, right? I urge you, in view of God's mercy. He's saying these last 11 chapters of, of the glory of the gospel... I've laid out, in view of that, let me tell you how to respond. Well, let's, let's do a, a little flyover the last 11 chapters. We started by seeing how profoundly sinful we are. Like if you took a, a, a if you shut off all the lights and you turned on a sin detector light and, it, and, and shined it on us, all of us from head to toe would just be covered in our sinfulness. We're profoundly sinful and therefore profoundly lost. But in chapter 3, we find out that there there was a profound righteousness from God that was made made available to us through the profound person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who did a profound work on our behalf in his death, burial, and resurrection. He paid a profound price for our sin, right? So that by grace, by his profound grace that we receive through faith, that as we place our trust in him, we receive this profound grace. And then he pours out his profound love into our hearts and gives us a new life by the profound gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us a profound new identity as a child of God. And he did all this, and it started with this profound plan of a little nation-state called Israel that he unfolded his plan over centuries that would end up reconciling all nations to God. And so how do we respond to such a profound gospel, to such profound good news that profoundly changes our life? Well, with a profound response. He says, in view of all of that mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Okay, Uh, this verse is a verse that keeps us out of two theological ditches that are um, common in the church. For I mean, yeah, in different segments of the church. First ditch is this, it keeps us out of legalism. Um, legalism is this idea that you can put God in your debt and procure his blessings by your performance. That if you do something, if you're good enough, that God will be indebted to you and you can then um, get his blessing because you kind of backed him into the corner by your own goodness. Um, It's also this idea that God's love for us and his goodwill towards us is really contingent on how well we're doing. That's legalism. And the Bible says, no, no, no. You're saved by grace through faith. And you're not... Okay, so if, if you were to... I put my own version of the legalistic version of this uh, verse is, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice so you can receive God's mercy. That's not the way it goes, is it? Um, but that's, that's kind of the legalistic approach, and, and let me be honest with you, many of us would say we don't believe that, but we have kind of ascribe to it underneath the surface of our hearts, that if I'm doing well, then God's going to bless me, and if I, uh, you know, I'm kind of procuring, his, his blessing is, is entwined with, with my performance, Right? And then there's the other ditch that we can put up. It's the, the license ditch, or what is called in theological circles as the antinomian ditch. And this ditch is basically saying this, I don't relate to God based on law, so I don't have to obey any rules. I can, the verse would go this way, therefore, in view of God's mercy, live however you want. That, that's kind of the antinomian, and there are uh, there are people who go in, in that direction that says, basically, um, since God loves you regardless of what you do, then you don't have, it doesn't matter how you live morally or immorally. It doesn't really matter. In view of God's mercy, live however you want. But that's not what the verse says, is it? See, there's a grave error with that verse. Um, I actually didn't put this up on PowerPoint. I wish I would have. But twice, at the very first chapter of Romans and the very last chapter of Romans, it speaks of this. It speaks of an obedience that comes from faith. Chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 16, verse 26, the second to last verse of the entire book of Romans, speaks of an obedience that comes from faith. Faith leads to obedience. Yes, we're saved by grace alone. Through Christ alone, by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Works follow faith. That is the gospel. And so the third way, and this is living in the gospel, is therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. How we live profoundly matters. Um, This phrase... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice is actually from the Old Testament. Um, What it's not is not a sacrifice for sin, because we know in chapter 3 that Jesus was our sacrifice for sin, right? That Jesus is one who paid the price for our sin. But what it is speaking about is a reference to Leviticus, which I know you're all reading this morning in your devotionals, um, where the people of Israel... Uh, would offer a whole animal every morning and every evening as a whole burnt offering is what it was called a whole burnt offering. So they take the animal and they would slaughter the entire animal and then they then the priest would come with the scepter and light it on fire and then the fire would consume it and the smoke would rise up. It was done every morning and every evening so constantly throughout the camp at. When the tabernacle was in the center, you would see the smoke arising, which would ascend to God as an offering. It was an act of worship that was, this, was a picture of total surrender and total devotion to God. In fact, it was done so often, and Exodus is referred to as the... Um, well, I, As the continual burnt offering, that's the word I was looking for. The continual burnt offering, because it was like, it was continual just all the time. Just this burnt offering going. And so Paul, here's what he does. He takes that image, which all the Jewish people would have understood. And he says, that is what our lives are supposed to be. Totally surrendered and totally devoted to God as like an incense that continues to arise to God. Okay, Um, I've been thinking a lot about this. This would be, to be that sacrifice would be absolute surrender. Would you agree with that? That animal is totally surrendered and consumed for the glory of God as an offering. And there's a difference between surrender and commitment. We talk a lot about being committed, but the Bible talks a whole lot more about being surrendered. What's the difference between being surrendered and being committed? Well, see, when you're just committed, you are the one who's still in control. Oh, I'm, I'm committed, I'm committed. But if something, here's when you find out if you're surrendered or committed, when adversity comes, when something uncomfortable comes, something you wouldn't choose comes. If you are committed, then you may start questioning your commitment. Say, well, maybe, I don't know, I don't really like that. Because here's the thing, people who are committed can be very cynical and proud. Because they're committed and they still, they still maintain the autonomy of their decision. But surrendered people, they have given the reins over to King Jesus. And therefore, he's the one who's now in control. He's the one who calls the shots. And when difficulty comes and adversity comes and, and something um, that they wouldn't have... Then they're surrendered and they say, King Jesus, whatever you... And it's, and it's saying, I'm surrendered to you. And they're not cynical and proud. They're profoundly humble. And I'm going to say this. I think at UVA, we're way better at commitment than surrender. Can I even broaden a little bit? I think the human heart. Is way better at commitment and surrender. And on the surface, it can look alike initially, but under the surface, there is a profound difference. Can I ask you a question? Are you surrendered to Jesus or committed to Jesus? That is a big difference. And so this is a picture of total surrender being the whole burnt offering on the altar, a living sacrifice, right? And so I'm going to live on the altar, surrender to Jesus, and say, in fact, uh, I don't know how many of you were at the, uh, the baptisms, on but one, one of the guys who got baptized talked about how he's like, man, I just surrendered it all. He's like, and he, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? He's like, I just surrendered it all. And you know what? I was like, Yes! He does not say, no, now I'm committed. No, he's like, I surrendered it all. And he started, listen, I surrendered this, I surrendered this, I surrendered this. Yeah, it's just, sur- because that's a big difference than committed. I would challenge, are you committed? Are you surrendered? Here's, here, can I tell you a secret? Commitment can be full of frustration. Surrender is free. It's yours. So this means our entire lives are to be acts of worship to Jesus. Like we are that sacrifice. And this means this. It means your studies can be an act of worship. Did you know that? I remember whenever I was in school, I prayed before I studied. I needed it. You know what I'm saying? You guys you know, It's like, oh, dear Jesus. Without you, I'm toast. You know, you've had that prayer, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the point is, I did it also because I just wanted it to be an act of worship. And, and so, I was like, okay, this, I'm trying to steward the gifts and opportunities you've given me, and so I'd, I would pray before I say it, and I'd pray before a test. You know, everybody else was like going through their notes one last time feverishly, and I would put my mechanical pencil and my pink pearl eraser in front of me and just sit there and pray, Lord, let me do this for your glory. I'd... I'd, I'd Pray the same prayer every time you know prayer. I would say, Lord, help me remember everything that I studied. You know, I've been as faithful as I can be to prepare for this test. And now, help me do it for your glory, not for mine. That's what I prayed. And sometimes I get back, like, whoa, I don't know why I put that. But it was right, you know. It's like, God's gracious. You guys had that moment, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. You can study for the glory of God. Um, have, have you ever heard of Brother Lawrence? Uh, Brother Lawrence wrote a book called Practicing the Presence. In fact, I had my bag I was going to bring up here, but I forgot. Anyways, um, but pa- Practicing the Presence. And he was a monk in the 16th century. And he uh, wrote this book. Well, he didn't write. People took the things he wrote and put it in the book. Um, and here's, you know what his job was in the monastery? Kitchen duty. He was over the kitchen, including dish duty, which he was not so fond of. But you know what He determined. That he would make his kitchen duty and his dish duty an act of worship before God. And it was said as this, that there was no difference when he was on his knees versus when he was in the kitchen cooking and doing dishes. It was all an act of worship. Isn't that beautiful? I'm like, oh Lord, let that be said of me. That that it was just like smoke arising from me as I was doing those dishes, you know, or as I was, yeah, I, I challenge you next time you're in Clemens and, and you see some from somebody from Kyop be like, oh, I thought I smelled another burnt offering over here. I thought I saw some incense going up, right? Like, or you go in the hub, you go upstairs, you're like, oh, I thought I smelled a burnt offering up here. That's great. Right? Because because it's a burnt offering. They're just, they're just studying for the glory of God. There you go. Burn offerings everywhere. That means this. It means this. That your free time can be an act of worship. It means your devotional life can be an act of worship. It means your studies can be an act of worship. It means your community can be an act of worship. It means your weekend can be an act of worship. Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice Holy and pleasing your entire life. Okay, we sing songs. I love, I, I love singing worship. But that is merely one expression of worship. That's an one artistic expression. That is an artistic expression of what we are trying to do in response to God's mercy every day. To be a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. That, it says, is your true and proper worship. Go ahead and put up that, that slide. Your true and proper worship. What, you know, the, what, what Paul is saying is this, that's the only logical response. When, when you offer your entire life as an offering to Him, is your only logical response. Anything else is illogical in view of God's mercy. It's the only rational response. Okay, so then he tells us two ways for us to live out this kind of life. Number one is this. Do not conform to the patterns. How do you live as a, as a living sacrifice, willing to pleasing God? Don't conform, conform to the pattern of this world. Last year I talked about the world, and some of you may have been here, and remember this, but some of you may not. Um, but let me give you a definition of the world, because in, in the Bible when it talks about the world, it's not just talking about like, you know, dirt and grass and trees and the moon and, you know. Here's what it's referring to. It's referring to this realm, this, this realm that um, where the norms, values, and systems of thinking and living that are broadly embraced but are hostile and opposed to God's will and kingdom and influenced by the forces of darkness. So when you read about the world in the Bible, it's not just talking about creation. It's speaking about a realm whose norms and values and systems of thinking are hostile and opposed to God's will and kingdom and influenced by the forces of darkness. And I don't have time to unpack all that, but I can biblically show you. And Paul says, don't conform. To the pattern of this world. Um, I'm always amazed how quick we are to conform. (laughs) Uh, This semester, I learned something that shocked me. I learned the power of this. A period. I had a friend who at breakfast said, Pete, I learned something. I said, what did you learn? He said, did you know that a period means you're angry when you text? I was like, well, that's the most ridiculous thing I heard. He said, no, I'm telling you. He said, go back and look at all your texts, and none of your students end it with a period. I was like, no, you've got to be kidding me. And so I go back to the office, I look, I'm like, he's right. I knew my son didn't end it with a period, but I thought that was just his bad punctuation. I was going to have a sit down with him and tell him, no, son, you, you're like... Not looking right on these texts. You need to start using proper punctuation, right? And then I called in one of our staff members in the office. I said, I got a question to ask you. She's like, what's that? I said, uh, what does the period mean? She's like, oh yeah, period. They're kind of like, like, you're kind of angry. She said, in fact, I just recently used a period at the end of a text. And I thought, I don't know, is that too much? I thought, what? <laughs> Are you serious? Is that too much? Proper punctuation too much? She's like, yeah. I was like, I was kind of frustrated. I thought, like, oh no, maybe I shouldn't put the period. I'm like, man, everybody must think I'm angry. Well, then, now as I as I put text, like eighty percent, I had to stop and take the period off because I'm like, I don't want to be angry. And then the other twenty percent, period's still on there. So I'm sorry if you get if you get a period from me. I'm sorry. Like I didn't mean to. You know, just just trust me. I'm not really angry. But here's the point. Like, now I'm trying to conform to stop using proper punctuation because I don't want to conform. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. I'm conforming my text etiquette to bad punctuation. Okay, Um, here's another way we conform. We conform... I don't know if you're like me. Anybody, if if you're... You ever around people with an accent? Pretty soon you're starting to talk with an accent. Anybody... Any other linguistic chameleons, like, okay, you're getting ready to go home. Some of you are getting ready to go home and give, give you 10 minutes, and you're going to sound just like your family. You're, you're, you know, maybe if you're from the South, pretty soon you're going to be saying, I reckon so. You're like, what in the world? I never said that at UVA, but now I'm saying, reckon? Like, what, what is that? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, where'd that come from? One time, my oldest son, when he was playing baseball, we took him 20 minutes south. To uh, to this nice baseball field where he had his practice. After one hour practice, he gets back in the car. We're driving home. He said, "Hey, Dad, you got any vanilla wafers?" I, I, I looked back. I had to make sure I had my son back there. I said, "Do I have? Why is that vanilla wafer?" I was like, it a vanilla wafer, son? It's not a wafer." One hour, he's talking. I'm like, goodness gracious, we got to get him out of this baseball. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because we conform to those around us. Okay, here's the point. <laughs> here's the point. The world doesn't want to just conform our text etiquette or have us pick up an accent. The world wants to conform your heart, wants you to feel certain things and desire certain things. The world wants you to think certain things and believe certain things. John Tyson said, and I quoted this last year, but he said, Imagine somebody from the Church of Rome walking to the Roman villa to go to church. Imagine what they would have walked by just to get to their house church. Imagine as they walked, they'd go past the theater, the live theater they'd go to on the weekends and would play pagan plays with pagan storylines, trying to teach them how to think. And then they would keep walking, and they would pass pagan temples that represented the idolatries of their culture. And they would keep walking, and it passed a... They'd pass a brothel that would represent the sexual ethics of the culture. And then they would keep walking. And they would pass monuments and, and propaganda that would teach them the Pax Romana of the, of the Roman Empire to, and teach them to hail Caesar as Lord and Savior as they did. He says, and now imagine they arrive in the Roman villa and they sit down and they hear the words of the Apostle Paul read, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And they would have to stop and think, how is Rome trying to form me? Here's the thing we don't have to even go on a walk to be formed, we can get out our phones. Get on social media, turn on Netflix, play our favorite playlist on Spotify. And between Netflix and Spotify and Instagram and your phone, this culture is trying to form you into its. Paul says, if you're going to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, do not conform to the pattern of this world. As the Phillips paraphrase said, don't let it press you into its mold. I like how uh, Eugene Peterson put it. He said this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so well adjusted that you fit in to the culture without even thinking about it. And then Paul says, not just don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, Paul, how are we transformed? And by the way, that word transform is metamorpho. It's it's this picture of like a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's like this total transformation by the renewing of your mind. And this goes back to Romans chapter 8, verse 6, where it says um, that those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things that the Spirit desires, not on what the flesh desires. So how do you... How do you renew your mind? Well, I would say there's two, two ways. Well, let me tell you, first of all, how to conform. Can I tell you how to conform? Here's how you conform. If you want to think like those around you, if you want to desire the same stuff as those around you, if you want to conform to those around you, let me tell you how to do it. Never, ever open your Bible. And never, ever take in truth. In fact, give you a month of that and you're going to start to think and feel and desire the same things they do. But if you want to be transformed, then here's what I want to encourage you with. Have a steady diet of Scripture. Because you'll be reminded of the profound gospel. You'll be reminded of the greatness of what Jesus has done for you. You'll be reminded that you're called to live as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, where the Spirit of God would come and light you on fire and you would burn for the glory of God. That's the picture, that the Spirit of God comes and you're set ablaze for the glory of God. That's what we're called to live. And we read about that in the Scriptures. We're reminded of that through the Scriptures. And our hearts are are reoriented in the Scriptures. Our minds are renewed through the Scriptures. I remember when Amy came to Christ. She was a a second year when she came to Christ. And then she did something that uh, was not great for a new believer. She studied abroad. She studied abroad in Australia. And it was really hard for her. She wasn't ready for it. And her walk with God was like this, like a roller coaster. And she came back from her study abroad, and she made a commitment. You know what her commitment was? That she was going to start reading the Bible. No one told her to necessarily. She just said, I'm going to start reading the Bible. It took her three years to read through the Bible. But you know what happened? Over those three years, she went from this, very unsteady, to becoming very steady and stable in her faith. And by the time I met her, I couldn't even believe when she would tell me. Her, like, I was like, well, that was you. What? Because because her mind had been renewed and her life had been transformed. I'll I'll, I'll go as far as to say this. I've never met somebody transformed by the power of the Spirit who wasn't deeply saturated in the Word of God. I just haven't met them. If you find them, let me know. I'd like to meet them. I just haven't. Let me give you a challenge. Here's my challenge. Would you take a 30-day challenge and for the next 30 days spend 15 minutes renewing your mind in God's Word? If you've never done that, just do it for 30 days and you tell me if it impacts the way you live. So that's number one. And then finally... uh, Oh, by the way, I love this quote by Nathan Rittenhouse. He said, we all need to attend a revival service at least once a day. I love that. When he said I thought he was going to say once a year. Yeah, we all need a revival service at least once a year. No, once a day. Why? Because the, because the tide of the world is so strong and the flesh is so bent in on itself that we need a revival service every day to come against the power of, of, of the world that's trying to press you into its mold and to turn your flesh, which is so bent in on itself, back towards God. Who can argue with that? I can't. Okay. And then finally, second way we renew our mind is in community. I, I just want to show you the passage. Can you put up the passage again, uh, Gavin? What does it say? Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters to offer your bodies, plural. In other words, he's speaking to a community. He isn't speaking to individuals. He's saying, together, I want you to live this way. Brothers and sisters, I want you to live this way together. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then here's what you find out. After this After verse 2, the rest of the chapter is about living in community because this transformation that we go through, we don't go through, Christianity is not a solo sport. We go through it in community. When you're in a community of people who are are seeking after the Lord, who've been set ablaze with the the power and and the life of the Spirit, who are now living as a living sacrifice, who want to magnify Jesus and glorify Jesus, who are renewing their mind in the Word, when you live in that community, it will help transform you. This isn't a, a project for yourself. We are to live this out in community. This goes without saying. But Paul, he calls them brothers and sisters and says, offer your bodies and the plural nature of who he's talking to. He's not talking to people who just see each other once a week and happen to sing the same songs and like to listen to the same speaker. That's never what the church was meant to be. The church was meant to be people who live deeply together who build each other up, who, as it says later in this very chapter, are devoted to each other in love. Who live life together. And That type of community that's centered on Jesus, seeking to look more like Jesus, to glorify Jesus, will impact you. And so as we close how do we respond? Well, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's great mercy, to offer all that you are, surrender all that you are on the altar. Let the Spirit of God set you ablaze To become a burnt offering that is holy and pleasing to God. That is the only logical response. A response of worship. Do not conform. Don't let the world press you into its mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then You'll be able to test and approve. You'll be able to know God's will. And not only know it, but you'll find it as good and perfect and pleasing. Paul says, let's live that. What would happen if everybody in our courtroom Everybody in our community said, let's do that together. Let's live that way together. And you go, I thought I smelled a burnt offering in there. And somebody walks into the house, oh, there's another burnt offering. Another person's totally surrendered to Jesus. What would happen on grounds? What could God do? What could happen in your dorm? I'm telling you, in the midst of this tragedy that our campus has gone through, I believe God's going to do some stuff. But, it's go- but we, he's already started, right? But, but if we'll be these people who are on the altar, surrender, saying, Jesus, use me as a burnt offering. Just However, I'm surrendered to you. Will the worship team come forward as we close? Here's some here's some questions. Will you surrender your entire life on the altar? Oh, that's a small question, huh? Gee, who wrote that? In response to his great mercy. Surrender. Jesus calls us to surrender, not just to commitment. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will find it. Number two, will you commit to partnering with the Spirit by having a steady diet of Scripture to renew your mind? This isn't about legalism. I told you, we got to stay out of that ditch. You're not trying to earn God's blessing. It's about partnering with the Spirit by renewing your mind so you can live the life He wants you, so you can be set ablaze. Right? Right? Just living the spirit life. And then will you allow your story to be impacted by Christian community, by other people who want to live it out the same way as you want to? There must be burnt offerings. Does that sound good? Holy pleasing to God not because of our goodness but because of his grace we're just responding will you stand the worship team is going to lead us in a song And these two verses I would encourage you to memorize them This, these two verses are the, the hinge of the entire book of Romans let's, let's spend some time as burnt offerings singing A song of worship. So Lord, that is our heart's desire. Make us more like you. Lord, we don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We want to be conformed into the image of Christ. We want to be conformed to the way of the cross. Yet we confess that our flesh, our flesh wants to go in other directions. It doesn't, it's not, bent towards the cross. It's bent towards itself. So we need your spirit. We need your help, Lord. Lord, I pray over this extended break that we would have our minds renewed in the glory of your word. Saturated in the truth of scripture. Lord, I pray for each person as they go home that they would have a blessed time with whether they're at home with their family or with friends and, Lord, whatever their community is, I pray you'd bless them and refresh them. After this difficult time we've had as a a university, Lord, I pray they'd come back refreshed in you, body, soul, and spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to live out Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God as our true and proper worship, to not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind so we can test and approve what your will is, your good, perfect, and pleasing will. Lord, help us to live that out for your your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray for the benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And as you glimpse at his mercy, may he give you peace. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving break. We'll see you when you get back. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.